0: Thank you for being here and giving yourself to God and His Word this morning. As you know, if you've been here over the last number of weeks, we finished up a series we were doing called DNA, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited about sharing with you a new series called Redemption. Redemption. We've got a little sub- subtitle for it, When Worst Stories Can Have Best Endings. When worst stories can have best endings. For most people today, when you hear the word redemption, it's not a word that gets used a lot. In fact, when I was doing a little back research about this, I was I was saying to Pastor Scott that um, it, I was thinking of some of the more uh, current choruses and stuff we've sing, and and I couldn't think of the word showing up at all. And and then I did a quick Google, and I found out that. Man, there are a ton of older hymns that, that talk about redemption all the time in, in, those, in those lyrics. And so they went to work and they found uh, a variety of songs that uh, are more up to date. But a lot of times when people think of redemption today, they think of recycling, like redemption centers. And uh, I found these, I thought you would like these pictures this morning. I found these pictures of people taking uh, old things and and recycling them of sorts. And here we have a piano that somebody turned into in an aquarium. I thought that was pretty ingenious, right there. You can go to the next. There, there they took a took an old VW. I think it's a. Isn't it a Beetle? A VW and turned it into their chicken chicken house. That's pretty cool. Uh, this one's one of my favorites. Guy took two liter pot bottle. Mod- well, I assume the guy, maybe the lady did it, but took two liter pot bottles, glued them together, and built a boat. That's pretty cool. Somebody took an old boat and made it into a bed, uh, hanging there. That's pretty cool. Things could get really swinging, if you know what I mean, you know. This one took an old crib, took a, a crib and turned it into a, a table complete with a chalkboard uh, as the bottom there. I thought that was kind of neat. And there somebody took a piano, uh, tore, tore out the guts of it, put some shelves in and, and made a bookshelf. Is there another one or is that the last one? I think that might be the last one. Uh, just a few things I found this week. And while these might be great metaphors for being able to take something old and worn out and redeem it of sorts, the way I want you to look at uh, over the next number of weeks, the way that I want us to look at this idea of redemption is to see how God takes what we perceive as something negative and turns it into, takes that, and turns it into something incredibly positive. <clears throat> all of us, uh, all of us in here go through stuff. Nobody's exempt from that. If you live in this world, you go through stuff. Some more so than others, but we all have our, our crosses, if you will, to bear. And I, I really want to. I want us to look at this because I think God strategically uses those things to to deepen our relationship with Him and to ultimately bring about His good and purpose His good purposeful plans for our lives. I've said to you before, and I'll say it again. I believe that God does not waste anything. He wastes nothing. He uses everything for his good purpose and glory. If you were to go to a dictionary and look up the word redemption, you would find that it means the act, process, or instance of redeeming. That's not overly helpful because that just takes the verb or the adjective or noun or whatever it is and and says it's the process of redeeming. So if we dig a little bit deeper we have to look at what it means to redeem something. Redeem means to compensate for the false or bad aspects of something, to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Now that particular act of redeeming is much, the English uh, uh, definition is quite close to uh, the original Greek and Hebrew understanding of what it means to redeem something, in the Greek and Hebrew, it means a price that has to be paid in order to buy back, set free, recuperate, regain, reclaim someone or something. So it's, 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 the, it's a process that takes place of taking something or someone who is deemed Uh, 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 bad if you will and turns it for good right Uh, there's an old hymn I I couldn't help but uh, hearing in my heart all week long this week I heard my dad singing it in a quartet that he used to sing in And uh, it's an old hymn uh, that goes, Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. The story of that particular hymn is about taking someone who is broken, someone who is lost, having God invade their life in such a way that, that, that they're brought back, bought back, And now they're something they were previously not a child of God. At its root, redemption is about taking something that is not good and causing it to come out for good. Taking something that's not good and causing it to turn out for the good. We all love redemption stories. We do. We all love them. In fact, if it were not for the idea of redemption, there would be no channel, there would be no Hallmark channel or Lifetime channel. <laughs> they, they just wouldn't exist. They wouldn't be there. Because those stories in that is taking somebody who's gone through some type of adversity and in the end uh, having a, a restoration process, a redemption process, Now, I found this out. I I never knew this, but it totally makes sense that there is in writing what's called the redemption arc, the redemption arc. And when people are looking to learn how to write a redemption story, they instruct them about following this particular arc. And here's how the art goes. Number one, usually a good redemption story starts with the person experiencing a sense of serenity or happiness. I said it this way, it's all good in Hooterville, right? It's, uh, everything is fine. Uh, The person's life seems to be relatively unfazed by difficulty or problems. And then, step two, in a dramatic turn, the main character suffers some type of adversity where there is meaningful loss or pain. Their story is powerful because of the incredible loss that they have occurred, Number three in this redemption arc, for all intents and purposes, there is no hope of recovery from what they've just gone through. In other words, if you can picture it, the arc, you know, everything's good. but oh, not so good, bad, 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 bad. And then, number four, the main peri- character, after an extensive period of time and hardship, experiences a startling reversal in which there is some tar- type of remarkable restoration, sometimes vindication, and restoration of honor. So, again, if you're following the arc, it goes down, there's a bottom, and then some, something happens for the situation to turn, and now... Uh, where where the ark has made its change and is headed back upward. Number five, although some losses from the adversity are never restored, greater advantages now are enjoyed in the end because of the adversity that took place. Are you tracking with me? The, it's it's in movies. If you you can see it, you can start to see it. Now I want to add. I want to add. This is these things I found uh, were were uh, uh, you know just a secular way of describing uh, this idea of redemption and, and how to how to create the redemption arc. But I wanted to add my own sixth step. The sixth step uh, of redemption in my mind is that when others see uh, when when people. When people uh, give credit to God for the change of direction, um, number six, I said this: when others see what God has done in the life of the main character, they have to they they are faced to admit that God is a God of redemption, redeemed. Bless you, redeemed. How I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child, and forever I am. The Bible is literally littered with redemption stories. They're all over the place. We're going to look at a few. But I want to say to us this morning, not only are there stories found in the Bible, redemption stories, but there are a whole bunch of them right here in this room today. There are a lot of redemption stories right here in this room. And my hope over the next few weeks leading up to Easter is that you might get to hear some of those stories. In regards to the Bible, I'd like to start with the story of a man by the name of Jacob today. Jacob. Now, the interesting thing about Jacob is he's also called Israel. Kind of has two names going on throughout Scripture. And, um, and what I want to say about that is, is though, although it's a story about Jacob, it's really a story about Israel. Not Jacob Israel, but Israel Israel. If you don't already know this, Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. The reason that I mention this and take you back to his grandfather and grandmother is because I want, I, in order for us to truly understand the redemption, Jacob's redemption story, we have to understand where it all started. And way back in Genesis chapter twelve, God shows up and speaks a promise to Abraham. I want to read it to you. It's found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It tells us there that the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and, I w- and go to the land I will show you. Now, I'm just going to pause right there so I can say in a few moments we're going to see that Jacob and his family ended up landing in a place called Canaan, We know it today as Israel, the nation of Israel, but they landed in that part of the world, and that was a fulfillment, in part anyways, of God's promise to Abraham. Jacob, years later, I'll tell you how long in just a minute, years later, we find him and his family living in Canaan, which was part of God's promise to show him this land. And then it goes on to say, I will make you into a great nation. Can you just say that with me on three great nation? One, two, three. Great nation. I will show you, I want to take you to a land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise in Genesis 12. It gets reiterated in Genesis 15, but God comes to Abraham and says, I am going to do something through you and your lineage that will ultimately utterly bless the whole world. Now, we, we know that, not to get ahead in the story, but we ultimately know that it was through this line that Jesus landed on planet Earth, right? And ultimately, the whole world has been blessed through him. This, this promise that came to Abraham was the unquestionable promise, the uh, I'm going to be careful how I'm saying this. Irrevocable promise of God to Abraham. All right, we all got that, right? That He is going to, through Abraham, build a great nation, and that nation would end up being a blessing to the whole world. Now, after Abraham came Isaac, and the promise was uh, uh, the promise was passed down, if I can say it that way. Then from Isaac, it ended, the blessing of promise ended up getting spoken over Jacob. Now, we we can talk about, you know, God, you know, if we were God, we probably wouldn't have done it some of the ways that he ended up going about doing it. But this was God's uh, God's plan, right? Remember, his ways are not our ways. He's got something going on that you and I sometimes uh, can't see now. This was in Genesis 12, 15, right in that period of the Bible. But if we fast forward just a little bit to Genesis 42, we find Jacob and his family living in the land that God had promised to bring Abraham and his lineage into, the land of Canaan. That distance from Genesis 12, chapter 12, 15, we're fast-forwarding to 42. That's about a 200-year period. I know it doesn't seem like it when you read the Bible, but there are two, roughly 200 years between when the promise was given and we find Jacob and his family living in Canaan. You got that? It's an important point. 200 years. How long has our nation been around? 250. Close to it, almost as long as the United States of America has been around. Right? That's how much time has elapsed. From Genesis 12, chapter 12, chapter 15, right in there, all the way uh, to chapter 42. So, uh, in that two hundred years, in light of the promise that God gave to Abraham, uh, He had brought them into the Promised Land, right? But remember, the second part of that promise is, "I will make you into a great nation." Remember that. Yes. I will bring you into the land that I that I have uh, have for you that I. That I promised to you, and I will make you into a great nation. Now, at this particular point in time, I'm gonna read it for you uh, right out of scripture. At this particular point in time, there are only 70 people, 70 people, 200 year period of time, but only 70 people, 70, 70, number of people are considered a part of Abraham's lineage. I'm going to read it to you right here. It's in Genesis 46. All those who went into Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. Verse 27, with two sons, Uh, who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family which went into Egypt were 70 in all. 70. Got it? 200 years has elapsed, and we've got 70 people. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not consider that yet a great nation. Right? Right? I mean, if that's, we got nations here this morning. I mean, 70 people, if it was 70. So, so he had brought them into the land, but the process of causing them to become a great nation had not yet occurred, right? 200 years has elapsed. 200 years. Now, God is going to do something to accelerate the process of growing Israel into the great nation that he promised. He's going to cause something to take place that you and I, I, I just got to say, we, we, we would not do it this way at all. We would not do it this way. In fact, God is going to use famine famine f a m i n e to bring about his plans and purposes uh, i don't know if you're hearing it yet now for me for us to uh, totally get our brains around this this morning I have to take you to a particular part in this story before we look at the rest of the story, of Jacob's story. I have to take you to a particular part in this story, but I only want to touch on it because next week I want to come back to it because it's a redemption story in the middle of a redemption story. It's it's like I got this redemption story happening, and in the middle of the redemption story, there's another redemption story happening, okay? So I, 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 I just want to tell you this part. Jacob had a son named Joseph. Now, I, I can hear some of the wheels turning already. I know the story of Joseph. so so. And I, please don't leave that. We'll get back to it next week. The part in Joseph's story, if you remember, Joseph ends up in Egypt before Jacob and the rest of the family ever end up in Egypt. Not to steal all my thunder for next week, but... Joseph gets there ahead of his family, right? Right? In the process, there is a whole cool thing that takes place there. But at one point, Joseph is now called upon to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. Remember that part of the story? That's the only part I want to look at right now. Forget you even know the rest of it, right? Right? J- Joseph is now going to tell Pharaoh what his dream was about. I have to read it to you. It's in Genesis 41. This is what it says. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. What, not what Pharaoh's about to do, what God is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. So we're talking about a 14-year period here, seven years of bumper crop, and then seven years of nada, nothing. You get nothing from the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. And God will do it soon. So God, the first seven years, is going to open up the, the land, and people are going to have more than they know what to do with, right? But then God, the same God, is also going to cause a, a drought, a famine to occur, where no food is able to be grown at all. A famine. God uses a famine To accomplish what he's trying to do, listen, what he's trying to do, he had already brought them into the promised land, Canaan, right? But now he's got to build them into a great nation. And he's going to use a famine to do it. That is not, when I do math, that is not how that works. Okay, so uh, Joseph, Joseph ends up being in charge of how to navigate what God is about to do for Egypt, right? So he takes those seven years of abundance and he says to them, listen, instead of wasting all this, we are going to stockpile all the leftovers so that when the seven years of famine come, We'll have food to eat, right? But not only food for Egypt, we will have food for anyone who comes looking for food. This is Joseph's, by God's revelation, this is God's revelation to Joseph, what we're going to do in order to resolve what God is about to do. So, it comes to pass. Years of abundance, then come years of famine. The famine was not limited just to Egypt it ended up it ended up the entire part of that world was experiencing famine so remember Jacob and his little household his 70 they're all hunkered down in Canaan the place that God had taken them to and they're experiencing famine and uh, let me just read it to you i'm going to say uh, <clears> this <throat> how A famine came upon Egypt, but it came upon Canaan as well. The famine was devastating to Jacob's family. They lost their crops, they struggled to keep their flocks and their herds alive, they ran out of trading goods, and they had nothing more to barter with in order to survive. This led Jacob, I read it to you earlier, in Genesis 46, it says, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob. This led Jacob to have to leave his comfort zone of Canaan that God had brought him into. He had to leave that and now travel to Egypt to stay alive. You got it? God, <laughs> I don't know if you can see it though. God needed, needed Jacob to uproot from the very place he had promised to bring him into in order to get to Egypt. Do you see it? God is making this happen through a famine. Whoa. So Jacob and his little tribe of 70... Not yet a great nation. They all end up in Egypt. But they not only find food there, they end up settling there. Like, he didn't go over to the grocery store of Egypt and say, give me lots of food, I'm going back to Cana. No, they realized that if they were going to stay alive, they had to hunker down there, right? So we have food. So it says, let me find it here for you. Uh, it says, now Joseph and, uh, where am I at here? It says, now, it says Genesis 47, 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there. So they're not just, you know, there wasn't just checking into a holiday inn until this thing was over, they actually settled down. They bought property there they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Hello? He had them leave the promised land travel to Egypt they settle in Egypt this little band of 70 they settle in Egypt and it says there I just read it to you that they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Now we know, we know from what we can read in Scripture that their initial years in Egypt were fine. You know, when we think about this story, especially as it's portrayed to us in films and so forth and so on, that all this stuff happened like boom, 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 you know. And we got spans of years unfolding here in front of us, right? So their initial... Uh, uh, time of landing in Egypt. They've got plenty of food to eat, uh, and, and we, we, we can, you can read it. It's all right there in front of you. Jacob passes away in Egypt. He never ends up back in the brown. All of his sons, his 12 sons, they all pass away in Egypt. And then in Exodus 1, 6, and 7, it says, now Joseph and all his brothers And all that generation died. So a whole generation dies off. Not just Jacob's generation, his children's generation. That whole generation dies off. But then it says again, But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. What land are we talking about? Egypt, not Canaan, Egypt. The land became filled with them. In fact, when a new king took over in Egypt that didn't know the backstory, remember, generations have passed. And a new king takes over. This is what it says in Exodus 1.12. He says, we got to do something about this. They, they, the more, the, uh, there's more of them than there is of us. Like we got to get, we got to nervous about this because if they decide to rise up, we got a problem. So he starts making life miserable for them. That's the part we always read about, right? What do you say, Mr. Britton? I don't know what happened to Mr. Britton, but they, they were asked to make more bricks with less straw and they were trying to kill their children as they were coming out of the womb right he just he he said we got to do something to suppress these people and oppress these people we got to we got to make it bad for them but then in exodus 112 it says the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread Now, if you and I were to come up with a way of building a great nation, I don't think we would use a famine. Let's try a famine and see how that goes. I don't think so. I don't think that we would even tell people to leave the place that God had promised them and go to a uh, 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 go and live in a pagan nation where your living conditions would end up being abusive. We probably wouldn't recommend that. No, not it probably doesn't sound like the way we're going to build a great nation. Now, one might ask, why would God do such a thing? Why Why would He uproot Jacob and his tribe of 70, move them over into a pagan setting, where they, where in years later, end up being abused mercilessly, right? Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Now, there are some different suggestions out there, but the one that makes a whole lot of sense to me is because of war. War. Three Little word, big deal. You see, because... The thing that killed off most people during these times was war. And when a nation is trying to become a bigger nation, another nation who's bigger than that nation comes against that nation and kills them and takes their stuff. That's how it works. That's called war. There were no... In this case, everybody knows there were no airplanes back in those days. right? Everybody knows that, right? That was a little bit later. There were no airplanes. So we're not talking about missiles shooting down balloons and stuff like that. No, I'm not talking about that this morning. We're talking about hand-to-hand combat. Other, other human beings coming against other human beings, slaughtering them mercilessly. Read your Bible. It's all in there, right? So, so... So if God, so, we can only assume that the same would have happened to Jacob and his family if they increased, that there would be other parties out there looking to take them out so that they don't become a great nation. So imagine taking this little fledgling nation and settling it unbeknownst to anybody in, in a place that the greatest army of the world at that time could protect them, and God could accomplish what he set out to do. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? We're going to cause a famine to happen, so that you have to go over here to get, remember, I can't tell you about Joseph yet, because that'll mess it up for next week, but could it be that God... Had that all happened with Joseph, so that Joseph would get there ahead of his family, so there would be food for his family, so that God could build the nation of Israel in a foreign country while it protected them. Is that crazy or what? I guess his ways are higher than our ways. Now, <clears throat> I'm quite sure that Jacob had no idea that was taking place in his day. I don't even know if Joseph understood what, how God was using him in the way to fulfill his promise of building a great nation. All I know is that when God was finished with that phase of the operation... He got his people out of there. And there was nothing that was going to stop that either. Now remember when I told you that there was a 200-year period between the promise given to Abraham and the time in which Jacob and his band of 70 went into Egypt, there was, uh, that, that was a 200-year period. So what if I told you this morning That during the next 200-year period, this little fledgling nation of 70 would end up growing into a mass of people in the same amount of time. It was a little over 200 years that we read this. Now, when they left Egypt, listen, listen, there were about 600,000 men on foot, not including the women and children. Wow. That's in Exodus 12, 12, verses 37, in case you think I'm misquoting it. So during a 200-year period between Abraham and Jacob, we got 70 people. And then the next 200-year period, where they're in a pagan situation, they're not being treated As guess that their population grew by ten by hundreds of thousands of people over that same period of time. That's unbelievable. There was a lot of fertile ground going on right there. (laughs) A lot of stuff happening. Now, when I read that verse, there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Now, when I look at that, when I look at that kind of number, especially for that kind of time, I look at that and say, that's a great nation. We got a great nation here. This is a nation coming out of a nation and going back to their promised land. But now, this time, when they go back to the promised land, they can keep that promised land. They have the ability now that if somebody rises up against them, they can fight them off. Obviously with God's help. Now, could God have said, you know, when one nation comes against you, I'll just wipe them all out? Of course, of course. But God had a different plan. And part of their trip to Egypt was to enable them to become the second part of that promise, a great nation. There's a principle for us here in this. God sometimes, please hear this, God sometimes puts us in uncomfortable places to enlarge us. Bob Sorge, in his new book, It's Not a Tomb, It's a Womb, uses the analogy of a woman's womb to make this point. Sometimes when we feel constricted, inhibited, like a baby in the womb, where there is indeed limited movement, loss of options, loss of control, about the only thing you can do in that environment is grow. You can't go after whatever vision you got. You can't, you can't, get, you know, you can't do the things you would like to do. But you can grow. When we find ourselves in such places, it's time for you and I to see it as a moment to grow. To grow, to grow deeper in God. You know, I just have to put this out there. I th- I th- I think this is true of all of us. We would spend all of our energy trying to get out of the situation. We, we spend all of our energies, both physically and mentally, trying to think about how can I get out from underneath the, this situation I don't like being in. I know I'm talking to the right people this morning. I know I am. But could it be, could it be that God is using this situation to enlarge us? to enlarge our faith, to enlarge our grace, to enlarge our prayer life, to enlarge our humility, to enlarge our understanding of who God is? Could it be? So when you're in that, when you're feeling like you're not in the place, you're not in your promised place, you're not not where you want to be, where everything is comfortable and comfy and you know, it's just nice out. It could be, it could be because God is using that to do something deeper in our lives. And after God enlarges us, I heard I heard when we first arrived at Bible school many years ago. One of the first things I remember hearing that always stuck with me is that one of the teachers said, "Listen, when you came here, you 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 were your your capacity uh, for God is the size of a thimble." Does everybody know what a thimble? Nobody uses them anymore, but y'all know what a little thimble is. I use one in taxidermy, so I I see it quite often. I have this little thimble; it's about that high and it's about that big around. You put it on the end of your finger so you can push pins. This teacher said, your, your capacity for God right now is, 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 is the capacity of a thimble. And what God desires to do in your life is to take you from a thimble-sized capacity to a 55-gallon-sized capacity. But in order for that to happen, happen, there has to be some stretching that takes place. You know, you you just don't wake up one day and go like, oh, I feel like I'm a 55-gallon drum now. No, no, the stretching happens when you are living in that place that you don't want to be. I can't tell you how many times I tried to leave Elam. Get me out of here. I don't want to be here because it was a pressure cooker. It was a spiritual pressure cooker, and and you you were there, and it's like, God, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. But God was using that, to enlarge, my capacity, to grow, and 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 my faith and my. Humility and my grace and so, and so on and so and we're, we're living the only the only part about this story that you probably ever heard before is how miserable the the, the Israelites had it in Egypt you know why that is because that's all we focus on today in our victim mentality all we focus is on is how bad they had it Meanwhile, God is growing them into the great nation that he promised they would be. I believe, I believe. Now, somebody said, Scott, I I think you said at the very beginning of the service, we, we, we got some pressure going on right now. Right now, right now, in our, our culture, society, there's a lot of some pressure, and we can either spend our, our our wheels, spend our time figuring out how to get out of this thing, how to, or or could it be that God is trying to enlarge us through it all? And in time, remember, we got a span of hundreds of years, and we're just you know we want it like this, boom, boom, boom. Come on, God, El- enlarge me now, enlarge me now. Right now, I want to (laughs) enlarge. Do it now. It's got to happen now. You know, there used to be a day, there used to be a day, they call this cathedral thinking. There used to be a day when that's how people thought. Cathedral thinking is this. The people who start building the cathedral never see the end product. Never see it. Because it takes over 100 years. Some of these cathedrals, it took over 100 years to do it. Right? We've totally lost that kind of thinking. It has to happen now. Now. And God doesn't work like that. God's on a different time clock than you and I are on. What I want you to see in all this is God redeemed Israel. He took what what we would look at and say that was a nightmare for them. But God actually redeemed it by using it as a way to accomplish the promise that He initially spoke. I realized this morning that there are some of you that are here that are in a place. Actually, if you're in America and you love God, you are all in a place that we don't really like right at this moment. Thank God there's a revival breaking out. Thank God there's some good stuff happening because from all I can see, it's just a steady, steady, you know, the, the redemption arc. You know, we're over here someplace. But I, I believe God has got something up his sleeve. I'm not saying I understand what it is. I'm not saying Jacob understood what it was. I'm not saying Joseph understood what it was. But they were just being faithful to God to do what they knew to do. And somehow, somehow God took a worse situation and worked it for his good. So if you're here today and you're, 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 your personal life is not where you would like it to be, it's not all that it, you know, it's, you're not in Pleasantville right now, right? You're not, you're not just peaches and cream. I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I'm, 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 I'm proving to you that God has a way of redeeming stuff. He has a way of, of working his good work and pleasure, even when it just simply, you, you maybe can't see it the way you wish you could. Okay, I think that's all. You can stand if you'd like. When the worst stories can have the best endings. When the worst stories, redemption, when the worst stories can have the best endings. Are in your hands. We heard a a word this morning from. It's not about us, it's about you. It's about what you've set out to do, Lord. And we believe this morning that your promises are good. They're not just good, they're great. You have great promises for us, Lord. And we can see how you sovereignly, even in this version of redemption we're looking at today, we can see how you sovereignly brought about what you had in your heart to do. And i thank you lord how you strategically place people and situations you have your you, you you have your you have your hand on the steering wheel lord you you know how to get us where we need to be not only as a individual but as as a people group as your church as a as a nation as a world lord you as we sang years ago Lord back in that time period we were looking at about that movie you got the whole world in your hands you know what you're up to you know what you're doing Lord, I want to particularly pray for anybody who might be here today who's in a place in their personal life it's it feels yucky Lord, I pray, even if you could give them just a a little bit of light, just a little bit of light, Lord, about what you might be doing in their moment of discomfort. And I pray that you would reveal to them that you've got them, Lord. You've got them. Help us to see you for the redeeming God that you are. How you take bad situations and use them for your good. Help us not to have a victim mindset, Lord. we constantly see the glass not just half empty but empty but somehow some way god you are using that you waste nothing and help us to find our rest in you i'm sure jacob didn't want to be buried in egypt Quite confident his sons, they want, I'm quite sure they all wanted to go back to the place that you had promised them. And in due time, that little group of 70 that grew into hundreds and thousands of people, you brought out of there. You fulfilled your promise, you redeemed the situation. Help us to see our lives in the same vein, Lord. You've brought us into this wonderful place of knowing you, and yet you you still have to enlarge us. You still have to make us big, Lord. Help us to have our eyes on you.